of you are ready to go through Second Peter. Second Peter is about to get really, really rich. And so don't miss this final chapter, chapter 3 of Second Peter, because, you know, I, I, I'm stopping tonight right where it's going to go off. How many of you remember what it's like? And you, or this summer you were in a pool, there was a shallow part, and then you took a step and it went deep. You know how that, that feeling. And uh, Frank was telling me he can't swim. Where's Frank? He's telling me he can't swim, and he almost drowned once in one of those pools that he stepped and just, he said, I've, I fell over backwards when it got deeper, and I just went straight down. He said, I sink like a lead weight, and I just flounder down there. But anyway, um, that's what it's about to get like in Second Peter. We've been dealing with some great stuff, uh, what to add to your faith and, and how to enrich your faith, but it's about to step off into the deep end, and it's really good. So don't miss it. But tonight, let's go ahead and, and stand for one verse, and then you get to be seated the rest of the time. But i like for us to look at the Word of God together. I want you to see it. Uh, I think it, it helps to see it. Uh, and I hope you're reading it at home. You should be. But let's read 2 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Ready? This second epistle, beloved, I now write to you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Speak to us, feed us, enrich us, build our faith up. In your name we pray. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. All right, uh, beginning chapter 3 now, uh, after dealing with the reality of false teachers in the first century church, Peter now predicts their presence, their arrival, their appearance in the last days. He begins by focusing on the excellent character of his readers. So in, in chapter 2, man, he was scathing these false, false teachers. But now in chapter 3, he's going he's to compliment his people. He's going to compliment the Christians, and he's going to remark on their excellent character. And so look at what he says. He, he says they've got pure minds. Let's look at it again. He says, I want to stir up your pure minds. Well, that word pure means unmixed, unsullied, sincere. In this case, it means free from falsehoods, free from duplicity free from hypocrisy. It conveys the thought of a mind characterized by moral and ethical purity, unsullied by vices and heresies. Peter tells his readers that they have a pure mind that is uncontaminated and unmixed by the seductive influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Very, very different from the corrupt, apostate, false teachers in chapter 2. So they had pure minds. And folks, I'm telling you, the only way to get a pure mind is to live in the Word of God. Remember that it says, how will a young man, a young person, or anybody for that matter, cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your Word, by staying in your Word, by reading your Word. I never let a, a day go by that I don't read it. And I'll tell you why, because my mind will go south if I don't read it. And so will yours. Because we don't think like the Word. We don't think like God. 
God's already told us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and I don't think like you, and you don't think like me. And see, too often we, we try to humanize God, and we try to make him like one of us, but he's not like us at all. Not at all. And the only way to think the way God thinks is to take in God's thoughts. And the only place to get God's thoughts are from the Word of God. Because what is this book? 66 books, comprised of 66 books. What is it? It's all of the thought. It's thoughts of God. It is God's thinking on paper. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It was God breathed, and where did it come from? It came from the mind and the heart of God. So Paul tells us in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. See, we can't even know what the will of God is without renewed minds. You take in God's thoughts and you renew your mind. You erase and you replace. You erase that old way of thinking and you replace it with the new way, new way of thinking. And you got to stay in that word to do it. And so he's saying these people have been living close enough to the Scriptures and to Jesus Christ that they had unsullied, pure minds. Now, I'm, I'm going to focus on this one word, pure, more than any other word tonight because I think we're in a tremendous battle in our culture, in our world, with our minds. Let me tell you something. Your victory is won or lost between your ears. You will walk in the spirit or in the flesh based on what goes on between your ears. You've got to renew the mind. And where we want to be is where these people were who Peter addresses and says, thank God, I'm, I'm telling you, I know you've got pure minds. So when he says the word pure, we know that it means non-hypocritical, non-duplicitous, you don't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. You're not riding the fence. You're not worshiping on Sunday and living like hell Monday through Saturday. It's not a play church thing with you where you give God one day out of seven. You say, okay, I did my duty for God and my country, and I'm, I'm a good Christian. And, you know, in the South, everybody is an American, and everybody has a pickup, and everybody's saved, and everybody's a Baptist. But the bottom line is, have you been saved? Have you been born from above? Ganao anothen. Birth from above. Have you been born from above? Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you don't know him. Born twice, you're his child. Born once, you're a child of the devil. Born twice, you're a child of God. So you've got to be born again, not just taking on a group of rules and regulations, a rule book. That is not what this is. This is a relationship book. It's a relationship book. It's not a rule book. It's a relationship book. And God is relational way more than He is rule-oriented. He's relational. So let's look at this word pure because we need pure minds. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. 
They will see God. Now, uh, so I did a little research on this. The Greek word for pure, I've got it up here for you, is ilikrines. Just think of licorice. I thought of licorice when I read that word. Ilikrines. Can you say it with me? Ilikrines. Now, that's the Greek word for pure. Now, ilikrines means son judged. It means son judged. Now, let me tell you what that means. In ancient times, the finest pottery was thin. It had a clear color and it brought a high price. Very valuable, that thin pottery. Fine pottery was very fragile, both before and after firing, and would often crack in the oven. Ethically, cracked pottery should have been, say it with me, thrown away. But if you were a dishonest salesman, here's what you did. You would fill the defective crack with a hard pearly wax that would blend in with the color of the pottery. All right? This made the cracks practically undetectable in the shops, especially when painted or glazed. Now just hold that thought a minute. You got somebody going into a pottery shop? They're looking for a high price vase. So they see something. It's thin. It looks, it looks expensive. It looks really uh, nice. So they pick it up and they scope it out. Looks good to me. The color is constant. Looks like good craftsmanship to me. And so, and so unless they did a certain thing, they would go to the shelf or to the counter and buy it and find out later that it had been cracked and those cracks had been covered up by this wax, okay? So well, here's what they would do. This cover-up was immediately detectable if the pottery was held up to the light of the sun which would reveal the darker lines where the cracks had been repaired. Thus, the artificial element was detected by sun testing. So you see these people in these old movies, in, in, you know, Jesus movies, you see them out there holding these pots up to the sun. Well, what were they doing? They were saying, you know what? I want to be sure this thing is solid. I want to be sure I'm getting what I'm paying for. I want to be sure this thing is is structurally sound so they would hold it up to the sun and if the sun was on that vase it would expose those cracks that have been covered up so you called it sun judged sun judged all right now um, honest dealers back in those days marked their finer products with the caption sine sera and the English word is what Sincere. They would actually mark their products sinicera. Sinicera. Sincere, meaning ain't no wax. That's southern talking. <laughs> wax free. This has not been dabbled with. Okay? So when the, the, the Greek word pure, a, a pure mind is taken from this word. So let me just teach you a little bit more and then I'm going to apply this. Even as it was wise for customers in the ancient marketplaces to give all pieces of pottery the sunlight test, so Scripture encourages all believers to test their lives for the wax of hypocrisy. So that when you open up this Word, and I told you I want a Bible like this. I'm gonna, someone's going to make me one or I'm going to do it someday so that when I open it up, a light shines out. Because <laughs> that's the way that I feel when I open it up. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. Here's what it does. You know, I, I like to call, call this also the morning mirror. 
Morning mirrors tell no lies. Really? Right? I mean, how many of you can honestly say the older I get, the less I like that morning mirror? The older you get, there's almost a shock value to it anymore. <gasps> when did that happen? The more light your countenance is exposed to, the more it reveals what's happened to you through the years. I like to call the word the morning mirror because see, or the light, whichever you like, but when you open it up, it tells you the truth about two things. It tells you the truth about God and it tells you the truth about you. It tells you the truth about God and it tells you the truth about you. And, and when we read it, which we ought to do every day, if there's any cracks, any areas where we're trying to gloss over our faults with hypocrisy, with duplicity, we've gotten off into the flesh somehow, or whatever, sun-tested. The word sun-tests you, and it reveals where you need to repent, where you need to bring something into line with the will of God. There's never a day I don't read the Word of God that I don't go, oh, it mainly blesses me, but usually it says, here and here here now, Jeff. Now, you remember you've got to forgive and you've got to love and you've got to be patient and slow down. You move too fast. You got to make the morning last. <laughs> and, and it reveals, see, we need to be sun tested every day. And so the morning mirror, what do we do when we look in that thing? We head for the makeup. Well, the girls do. If any of you guys do, come see me afterwards. We'll talk about it. We guys, we just age. But see, that's the deal. That's what the Word of God does. So when he says pure mind, it means you can expose your thoughts to the Word of God and allow the Word to sun test your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions. Your words. Can you say it with me? Sun tested. And if you'll just get into that word every day, it'll reveal the wax of hypocrisy. When held up to the light of God's word, the presence or absence of sinful cracks will be revealed. And that's a good thing. You want to do that all the time. It keeps you walking close to God, it keeps you walking close. Now he says in verse 2 that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken. Now Peter is saying, I want you, now that word or phrase be mindful really means to remind. He's saying, remind yourselves of the words of the prophets, the Lord Jesus, and of the apostles. Remind yourself. Remind yourself. Don't depend on the preacher to do it. Don't depend on some television or radio person. You remind yourself. And, and when you take the prophets and Jesus and the apostles, you've got the whole Bible. So remind yourself all the time. How many of you have noticed about yourself that we tend to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember? Have you noticed that about yourself? I mean, in marriage, for instance, have you noticed when you get into your, uh, your uh, holy disagreements, your sanctified arguments, have you noticed how you can reach back into the file 
and bring up something from 1982 that somebody and you remember something you should have forgotten a long time ago it's under the blood but you remember it but when it comes to remembering I'm forgiven there's no condemnation I'm his child he loves me I'm accepted in the beloved I'm walking with God I'm a child of God I've got a destiny I should be excited about my future I know the thoughts he's thinking about me thoughts of good and not of evil to give me a future and a hope all the things that we ought to be remembering we forget so Peter is called in seminary the apostle of remembrance he's the reminder but he's saying hey I'm gonna go to heaven someday so you're gonna have to remind yourself remind yourself so let's read the translation can we this already divinely loved ones is a second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your unsullied mind by way of remembrance that you should remember the words spoken previously by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles amen you know I've been walking in the Word of God walking in the with the Lord since I was 18 and it's amazing to me I'll open up Ephesians or Colossians go to the back and and read Paul's uh, the last few things that he said I did this recently and it was just so fresh and I've read it a thousand times but it was so fresh the word is the only thing I know of that is old but ever new it's old but ever new isn't that amazing and so remind yourself remind yourself now uh, he says knowing this that there shall come in the last days whatever one scoffers preach it to me say it again scoffers there's gonna come when in the last days so now all of a sudden Peter is reaching way down the tunnel of time he's not focusing anymore on the present tense issue of false teachers in that early church now he's reaching way down the tunnel of time and he's talking about our day the last days and here's what he says scoffers are gonna appear walking after their own lusts now that word scoffers means a mocker it means to play with or to trifle or to sport or to jest uh, to make fun of to ridicule to demean he said in the last days a, a mentality is going to appear on a large scale not not normal but a larger scale so much more so much so that I'm gonna go ahead and point it out prophetically it's not gonna be normal there's gonna be a, a particular mentality that's gonna scoff make fun of demean ridicule joke at the whole notion of Jesus returning to the earth now let's look at this for a minute Peter is prophesying that people will appear in the last days with a playful mocking make fun of attitude about the second coming of Christ we find this same type of attitude present at the crucifixion of Christ same word scoffers and mocker is the same Greek word so let's look here Matthew 27 29 look what it says about the crucifixion of Jesus and when they had platted a crown of thorns they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him can you imagine God incarnate standing there beaten to a bloody pulp and they have crushed onto his sacred brow 
a crown of thorns, the very crown itself mocking who he said that he was, and they're now going to bow before him in mockery and ridicule and say jokingly and cuttingly, Hail, King of the Jews! That's a scoffer. That's a scoffer. That's a mocker. That's the spirit he says is going to appear. And look, it happened again just 10 verses later. Or I'm sorry, yeah, uh, two verses later. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. After they had mocked him, and if you saw the, the, the passion of the Christ, I guarantee you, as horrible as that was, that did not do justice to what they did to the face and the body of Jesus. Isaiah grasped it when he said he's unrecognizable. We can't tell if he's even male or female. He's beaten beyond all recognition. Now, in the middle of that, see, they mocked him, ridiculed, made fun, demeaned him, made a joke out of everything he had claimed to be. Because remember, Herod had said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king? And kings wear crowns. And he said, you're going to see me coming again in the clouds of glory. He said, we've heard enough. And so to put the crown on him was a mockery. And now here they are after he's been beaten to a pulp. They're mocking him again. And then 10 verses later, likewise also, the religious leaders, the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and the elders, the teachers of the Word of God to the people. Look what happened to them. Saying, he saved others. He's on the cross now. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross. And we'll believe him. And they were mocking him. Mocking him. And God in flesh was hanging there looking down at them and here's where John comes in and says when he returns every eye will see him and even those who pierced him will see him and they will all mourn because of him so sometimes you eat crow immediately and sometimes you eat crow way late but you still eat crow and they'll eat those words now, catch Peter's gist here. This same attitude of doubting and mocking who he was on the cross will be prevalent in the last days concerning his return. They're going to make fun of the idea of him coming back just like they made fun of him being the Messiah on the cross. The same thing will happen. Hey, oh yeah, sure, king of the Jews, sure. Why don't you come on down? That same mocking, ridiculing, demeaning spirit is going to be released against the notion of him returning. I think that's why a lot of churches have quit preaching the return of Christ. And God helped them. And if you're listening by radio and you're a preacher and you don't preach the second coming of Christ, you're missing a blessing. Your people want to hear it. Now, to quit preaching the coming again of Jesus flies in the face of clear Bible teaching. Now, I did a little research. Look at this. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament containing 7,957 verses. 
out of those verses, one in every 25 speaks of the second coming of Christ in some way. One in 25 out of 8,000 verses, one in 25 talk about the second coming of Christ in some way. And churches don't preach it. Well, we don't want to offend the people out there who might get saved. That'll get them saved. <laughs> also, out of those 7,957 verses, look at this. Nine speak about the new birth. Nine out of 8,000 speak about the new birth. 22 speak about baptism. 70 talk about repentance, but 318 talk specifically about the Lord's return. Now I want to ask you, and I'm going to ask any preacher listening by radio, if out of 8,000 verses, 318 talk about the second coming of Christ, why are we not shouting it from the housetops? Because to not talk about it is to deny a huge chunk of the Word of God. One of the clear signs of his return is that we will hear people in the church say things like this. Well, we shouldn't get too excited. Every generation has thought that Christ was coming in their lifetime. Just chill. I don't want to chill. I want to burn, baby, burn. I don't want to chill. I, we, we got enough of God's frozen chosen. We don't need people chilling we need people burning with the Holy Ghost and fire. You know, when we go and to Reunion Arena and we speak to 17,000 people, I'm going to preach Christ and Him crucified, and, and it will not be any problem on my part to talk about the second coming of Christ. 318 verses out of 8,000. Now, and the world, not only the church, the lukewarm Laodicean church, but the world will mock the notion of his return, just like they mocked Noah's prediction of a flood. But the return of Jesus Christ should be considered a great message of hope. Because when Jesus Christ returns, the greatest time of blessing known to mankind will begin. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Worldwide peace and justice. All we hear now is peace, peace. If we only had peace. Well, I'm going to tell you when peace is going to come. When Jesus comes back. When Jesus returns and the Prince of Peace takes over, there will be worldwide peace. Uh, look what Micah wrote. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. When? When Jesus comes back. The UN's not going to solve it. Some peacemaker is not going to permanently solve the problem. There's not going to be some magic formula. It's going to take the return of Jesus to bring world peace. But when he comes back, it's going to be an incredible blessing. Peace coming from Jerusalem and ruling the entire world. Not only peace, but longevity of life. No longer will you fear looking in the morning mirror. Oh, I'm sorry, I read it wrong. <laughs> no longer will there be in it, this is Isaiah, no longer will there be in the world an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. 
For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 shall be thought accursed. In other words, there is longevity of life when Jesus rules the millennial kingdom on earth. Harmony in nature. You know, I hate seeing animals kill each other. I really do. I don't like it. I'm a softie. I've gotten softer the older I've gotten. I just don't, I don't like it. I'm, now that I'm old gray-headed, <laughs> no, I, I don't like it. Uh, the world went carnivorous after the fall. But look what happens when Jesus comes back. There's going to be harmony in nature. Isaiah said, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And look at this. There will be universal knowledge of the Lord, and we won't be cons- uh, confused about who the Messiah really is. Isaiah says, also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist and the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Look at all that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. This is when Jesus comes back. So why would we not preach this? All right. Everybody happy? Let's read the translation, can we? Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last of the days mockers with mockery, ordering their manner of life according to their own personal desires. And here's what they're going to be saying. Here's the last verse, or second to last verse we're going to deal with tonight. We're almost done. Here's what they're going to be saying. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now notice this. The basis of the end time mocker's rejection of the second coming is that from the beginning of the creation, all things continue as they were. It's the same old, same old. So the unbroken continuity of existence is their stumbling block. Since the fathers, since the fathers died, everything has gone on as usual. And the fathers are, of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even before them, all things continue as always, all the way back to creation. We got winter, spring, summer, fall. People are born. People live out their lives. They marry. They have kids. They get old. They die. It's all, it's the continuous cycles of life. They say it's, it's never changed. In other words, God has never brought men into judgment. That's what they're saying. It's the same old, same old. I'm used to all this. Now look what Peter says about this. But they deliberately forget. Can you say it with me, deliberately? forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water and here's where we're about to go off into the deep pool are you ready good you're going to need it next week because I'm not going there tonight (laughs) but I am going to tease it a little bit okay watch this I want you to notice what Peter says now. They're going, well, things have always continued as they always have. You know, nothing has changed. Same old, same old, same old life cycle. Whatever is happening has happened before and it'll happen again. Now, here's what Peter says. If you want to take, they deliberately forget 
and take it straight from the Greek language and make it literal. Here's what it would say. But this escapes them of their own will. Or they shut their eyes to this fact. They intentionally shut their eyes. There's an old saying, uh, there is none so blind as he who will not see. Now, the denial of the second coming by these false teachers is due to willful ignorance on their part. They were intentionally, willfully putting out of their mind something they knew to be true. Well, then what was it? Well, that's what we're going to go into next week. But I will tell you what it's going to be called, the fall of Lucifer. The fall of Lucifer and a world that once was before this one. Do, 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 do. No, seriously. Seriously. This is what he's going to go into. And we're going to see that what they were intentionally shutting out of their mind was the knowledge of how God judged Lucifer. They know God is a God of judgment, and they've intentionally put it out of their mind. So when they say things have always continued as they've always been, they were lying because they hadn't. And we're going to see that next week. All right, can we stand? Well, how many of you were blessed tonight? Aren't you ready for the second coming of G? I mean, don't you want to see that? Sure. I mean, I want to live my life out, live my calling out, but everything the world is crying out for, he's going to bring. He's going to bring it. And this church will never let that go, and we will preach that. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. That even though scoffers are rising up all around us in our culture, Lord, mocking Christianity, mocking you being the Messiah, mocking your crucifixion, and mocking your return, scoffers. Yet, Lord, we will hold to the faith and we will preach your return. And thank you, Lord, that as you poured forth rain in Noah's day after 120 years of preaching, you're going to send forth your son in the sky. And Lord, we just thank you for the son judgment that the, the word brings to the little cracks of hypocrisy in our life. And we do, Lord, we want to be son judged so that we can remain whole and remove from our lives what needs to go and receive what needs to come. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word to cleanse us and give us pure minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God is good. And, and so